1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSC.
0: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: My grandparents were born into a world that's much different from what we have today. For example, my paternal grandfather, that's Jack Silverman, was born on June 1st of 1906. A few years before he passed, I got into a conversation with him about the first time that he ever saw an automobile. Now, he couldn't recall the exact year, but he was still relatively young, but he remembered that it was a doctor's car. It's hard to imagine the incredible changes that he saw during his 108 years of living, you know, so much of what we take for granted today. And I'm not just talking about automobiles, but he was born poor. I mean, he didn't have household electricity, plumbing, There was no commercial flight, radio, TV, computers. None of that existed. He was born into a very different world. Now, it's hard to believe that it's just 100 years ago in the 1920s that radio began to become commonplace in people's homes. Then, of course, after World War II, TV brought both sight and sound into our living rooms. But clearly the transmission of sound had to start somewhere. I mean, it hasn't been there forever. Someone, someplace had to be the first person to transmit his or her voice over the airwaves. If you're thinking Marconi, you'd be incorrect. So today I present to you the story of the father of voice radio. I am Steve Silverman, and this is the Useless Information Podcast.
2: Useless Information
1: Hi, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Uh, Before I start, I just want to let you know that my wife, Mary Jean, and I decided to take our dream vacation. And we've been planning this for years. We decided to head out west and see the Grand Canyon. And unless we fell into the canyon or our plane crashed or something crazy like that, I hope not, we are back home, but we're probably sound asleep. And that's because our flight came in after midnight on the day that I scheduled this episode to go live which means that I recorded this way in advance, you know, before we left. In fact, I'm recording this the day after I finished recording the last podcast. That was the case of the hollow nickel. So I've really had no time to sit down and hash out a brand new story. So I've opted to go with a story that I included in my second book. That's Lindbergh's artificial heart. Now I wrote the story way back in the stone age, way back in 2002 So I'm just going to basically read it as I wrote it back then, word for word, although I may paraphrase a bit and throw in a few uh, sarcastic comments along the way. Anyway, sit back and enjoy. Here we go. My dad has jokingly said over the years that there are two rules to owning a car. The first is that you live from car payment to car payment. When you make the last one, you die. His second rule is that if you hear a strange noise anywhere in your car, just turn the radio up louder and the problem will be solved. Little side note here is that my dad did pass away in 2009, but he was alive when I wrote this. Anyway, to me, the radio is basically a mood machine. If you hear a good song come over the airwaves, you crank the volume way up. If you're feeling sad, you find a country station. If you're worried about the afternoon commute home, flip over to the all-news station. One-click flick of the wrist, and your mood will instantly change. Guglielmo Marconi is the name that is constantly pounded into our heads as the inventor of modern radio. But that all depends on what you consider to be radio. If radio is a transmission of electromagnetic frequency from a transmitter to a receiver, then Nikola Tesla gets the credit. If radio is defined as a transmission of Morse code, then Marconi certainly gets the nod. But in my mind, radio is a transmission of sound, you know, be a voice or music, or what some people are trying to pass off as music. Going totally against everything they were ever taught in school, it turns out that Marconi was not the first person to ever transmit the human voice. It was actually done by a genius named Reginald Fessenden. Right now, you're probably saying something like, Reginald? Who? So let me fill you in. Reginald Aubrey Fessenden was born on October 6, 1866 in East Bolton, Quebec. In 1884, he accepted a mathematics mastership at Bishop's College, but never finished his degree because of an increasing interest in the physical sciences. He left the school and accepted a position as both the headmaster and only teacher of a small private school in Bermuda. During his two years teaching in the tropical paradise, he fell in love with Helen Trott, whom he would later marry in 1890. After his stint as a headmaster, he picked up and went to New York City in an effort to secure a job working for Thomas Edison. Initially, he was unsuccessful, but in 1885, he was given the job of assistant tester at the Edison Machine Works, which was in the process of laying electrical cables under the streets of New York. When the project was completed, he went to work in Edison's laboratory where his hard work and high level of intelligence did not go unnoticed. While Fessenden would probably be considered a physicist today, Edison assigned him to the chemistry division. Fessenden was given the task of finding a new, inexpensive, flame-proof insulating material for all those cables that were needed to electrify the world. The incredible world of plastics was still a few years away, so it's not clear how much success Fessenden had. He was then promoted to head chemist, But when Edison ran into severe financial troubles in 1890, Fessenden found himself without a job. Fessenden moved on to a Westinghouse subsidiary in Newark, New Jersey, where he perfected a new method of sealing incandescent bulbs. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Then it was off to the Stanley Company in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, which sent Fessenden to England to learn everything that he could about electrical generation. Fessenden and his wife returned to the United States just as a severe depression broke out. He once again found himself unemployed and never received any reimbursement for the expenses associated with his trip to Europe. In 1892, Fessenden accepted a position as a professor of electrical engineering at Purdue University, but he didn't stay long. With the backing of George Westinghouse, he took a better job at West University of Pennsylvania, which eventually became the University of Pittsburgh. Keep in mind that he didn't even have a college degree. Boy, have times changed. During his time as a professor, Fessenden's mind was in high gear as he cranked out ingenious invention after ingenious invention. He needed a way to compactly store all of his papers, so he devised an early form of microfilm. Fessenden also designed an early solar storage battery and continued his light bulb research for Westinghouse. Most experts, including Marconi, subscribed to the idea that radio waves were discontinuous, an on-off type of transmission known as the whiplash effect. While Marconi's system was adequate for transmitting Morse code signals, it was incapable of transmitting voice or music. Fessenden was convinced that radio had technologically taken a wrong turn and set out to devise a system that used continuous wave transmission. The year 1900 saw Fessenden leaving his professorship for a position with the U.S. Weather Bureau, which asked him to develop a wireless system to distribute meteorological information. Fessenden and his team were stationed at Cobb Island in Maryland, which lies in the middle of the Potomac River, approximately 60 miles southeast of Washington, D.C., Now, a little side note here, and that is that Google Maps did not exist when I wrote this. Uh, It actually lies about 45 miles or 72 kilometers more to the south direction, and it's not exactly uh, in the middle of the river, but it's close. Anyway, back to the story. Within one year, Fessenden and his team were successfully transmitting Morse code signals to an Arlington, Virginia station about 50 miles away. Well, we're going to take a quick break here to hear from the sponsor of today's story, But when we return, you'll learn what the first words ever transmitted over the air were.
2: Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Welcome back. Just before the break, Reginald Fessenden had secured a job with the U.S. Weather Bureau and was experimenting with the transmission of radio signals. Pick up the story as he's about to say the first words ever transmitted on the radio. One, two, three, four. Is it snowing where you are, Mr. Theisen? On December twenty-third, nineteen hundred, Reginald Fessenden spoke those words, the first ever broadcast through thin air. Mr. Theisen, about one mile away, acknowledged by Morse code that he had, in fact, clearly heard what Fessenden said. As revolutionary as this may seem today, the world was basically uninterested at the time. No one saw any commercial value to transmitting the human voice, so this was perceived as nothing more than a novelty. Marconi achieved much greater accolades when he received his first transatlantic transmission of the letter S via Morse code one year later. Fessenden knew that his system was crude and constantly worked on producing stronger, clearer radio transmissions. While public interest was minimal, word spread to various U.S. and Mexican governmental agencies about his invention and orders began to come in. Willis Moore, then chief of the U.S. Weather Bureau, became aware of this increasing interest and demanded a cut of Fessenden's earnings. Luckily for Fessenden, his contract allowed him to retain his patent, and he left the job in 1902. With the financial backing of two millionaires, Thomas H. Given and Hay Walker, the National Electric Signaling Company, abbreviated Nesco, was founded. Since there was so little interest in the time it was called telephony, the company focused its attention on improved telegraphy. It set up several stations along the northeastern coast of the United States. The company's first real success was on January 10, 1906, when Fessenden and his team made the first successful two-way transatlantic transmission between Brant Rock, Massachusetts and Scotland. Once again, there was very little interest in their product. Customers just didn't see the need for the best and most expensive equipment to transmit Morse code. They opted for similar, less expensive equipment from other manufacturers. Essendon continued to work on the equipment to transmit voice. He correctly concluded that high-frequency signals were the key to clarifying transmissions and demonstrated the revolutionary heterodyne theory. While others later improved upon it, the principle is still fundamental to radio today. The concept is a bit technical, but without it, you would need a separate receiver for each radio channel. One of Nesco's customers was the United Fruit Company, whose ships were outfitted with Nesco's wireless equipment. Fessenden told United Fruit's wireless operators to listen for, quote, something different on Christmas Eve of 1906. At 9 p.m., strange sounds were heard coming out of their receivers. It was the human voice. Fessenden said a few words and then played Handel's Largo on the ediphone, making him the world's first DJ, and then followed by playing O Holy Night on his violin and singing the last verse himself. Just imagine the thrill of hearing the first radio program of all time. It must have been simply amazing. Fessenden's broadcast was heard as far away as the West Indies, and at his request, listeners mailed in letters confirming that they had witnessed history in the making. Sadly, this would be the high point of Fessenden's radio career. Marconi once again stole Fessenden's thunder by establishing transatlantic wireless telegraph service on a regular basis. Then, to top that, Marconi was granted the exclusive right to build wireless stations in Canada, effectively locking Nesco out of the market. In 1908, Nesco attempted to oust Fessenden from the company. Fessenden was considered nothing more than an obstacle to the company's profitability. It had control of his patents and no longer needed him. As you'd expect, this whole mess ended up in court, a battle that would last nearly the remainder of Fessenden's life. While this marked the end of Fessenden's involvement with radio development, he continued to use his inventive mind. Between 1911 and 1912, he developed a turboelectric drive for battleships. In 1912, he devised an array of equipment that allowed submarines to send and receive signals. As a result of the Titanic disaster, Fessenden modified some of his equipment to detect icebergs miles away. His creation of an early form of television known as the spheroscope, the designs of an electric gyroscope, and a lightweight automobile engine, and the idea to place phosphorus on machine gun bullets as a tracer only adds to his long list of lifetime achievements. Financially, his 1921 creation of the fathometer, used as a depth funded for ships and submarines, may have been his most rewarding. The sale of this invention for $50,000 to the submarine signaling company finally gave him the financial security that he had long sought. While Fessenden created all these fantastic inventions, he continued his legal fight against Nesco. By this time, his patents were in the hands of RCA, and his legal troubles continued until March 31st of 1928, when the case was settled at a court. RCA was reported to have paid Fessenden half a million dollars for patent infringement. Fessenden and his wife purchased waterfront property in Bermuda where he remained until his death from heart failure on July 22nd of 1932. With hundreds of patents to his name, the father of radio died largely forgotten. Perhaps you can start spreading the word about what a remarkable man Reginald Fessenden was and help correct the terrible injustice with which history has rewarded his creativity. Useless? Useful? I'll leave that for you to decide. Well, that brings another episode of the Useless Information Podcast to a close. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I wrote this story about 20 years ago, so I hope that every detail that I included is still factually correct. I've really never come across anything that contradicts what I wrote, but you never know. I should point out that back then when I wrote this, I had to use this really antiquated method to do the research. I really had to physically go to a library and use real books. Kind of crazy, huh? As I mentioned before, if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with somebody else. And it can be anyone you can think of, you know, relative, colleague, classmate, or whomever. Many of the forums and groups online don't allow self-promotion, and that makes it difficult for me to do it personally. And that's why I'm asking for your help in spreading the word about this podcast. Anything you can do to help increase the audience for the podcast is greatly appreciated. I really mean that. Anyway, if you'd like to contact me about this episode, my books, the podcast itself, the website, or whatever, please do so through my email at steve at uselessinformation.org. You can use Facebook Messenger, or you can use the contact form on the website, uselessinformation.org. Anyway, thanks as always for listening, and take care, everyone. Bye. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge.